CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello to our fellow royal lovers. Welcome back to Royally Us, where we break down everything about our favorite family. I'm Joe Drake, here with my lovely co-host, Molly Molshine. We are here to talk about a lot. I mean, I sort of wish the unveiling was happening on Wednesdays when we debut this show, but it's happening on a Thursday, so we're gonna have a lot to talk about next week, but we always have a lot to talk about, so let's get into it. And speaking of the divide, we are all waiting with bated breath, as I said, for William and Harry to reunite since their grandfather, Prince Philip's funeral back in April. They will be getting together this week, of course, as we all know, for the unveiling of Princess Diana's statue in honor of her 60th birthday. Before we get into that topic, though, I wanna bring up something that just sort of happened yesterday or on Monday, I should say. Prince Harry surprised everyone with a video message at the Diana Awards. Let's take a listen to the clip and then we can talk about it. I'm truly honored to be celebrating your work, your commitment to change making and the vital role that you've taken on representing a new generation of humanitarianism. Later this week, my brother and I are recognizing what would have been our mum's 60th birthday, and she would be so proud of you all for living an authentic life with purpose and with compassion for others. Molly, this was sort of a little surprising drop before the unveiling, right? Yeah, it was. I was not expecting this. You know, I knew of the Diana Awards, but usually William and Harry have been pretty hands off with it. Uh, It's interesting that Harry was the only one who spoke, I guess. And but he did mention his brother. He said, my brother and I are recognizing what would have been her 60th birthday. And, you know, it was all in all just an optimistic, nice, sunny message, I thought. Yeah, I thought so, too. I think it optics wise is brilliant on whoever thought of this, whether it was Harry's team, William's team, whether it was Buckingham Palace that was sort of behind this. But having Harry release a video message acknowledging his brother and himself joining forces for this statue unveiling is smart. So it's we're not going in completely blind so we can only watch their body language. Like we sort of know that Harry has acknowledged they're doing this as a united front. So I think this is really smart on whoever thought of it. But let's talk about the statue unveiling. Molly, how do we, what do we know about how this came about? So apparently it was in January 2017 that the brothers, I guess, kind of realized that their mother's 60th birthday was coming up and decided to commission this statue. Now I want to look at like the Robert Lacey timeline of how they felt about each other by then. But that's another story. Um, You know, it's been 20 years since she passed away. And they they said at the time that it's the right time to recognize her positive impact in the UK and around the world with a permanent statue because 
you know, in Hyde Park where Kensington Palace is, there aren't that many. No, you wouldn't really know that Diana even lived there. You know, there's there's a memorial fountain, but it's not turned on during the colder months. And there's the memorial walk. But this is going to be a real stamp on the area that like this was Diana's like turf, for lack of a better word. Um, And of course, it's going in tomorrow, July 1st. And that is her birthday. It is her birthday. I think I I know there was some dates being juggled around. Like you said, this was talked about back in 2017, of course, things with COVID. There was just a lot of moving around of dates, but I think landing on July 1st, 2021, it being her 60th birthday is sort of meant to be. I think it's perfect, the perfect time to do this. Do we know exactly where the statue will be unveiled? Yes, it's going to be like at the head of the sunken garden, which is an area that she is said to have really loved to spend time in. Um, It was previously transformed into a memorial for her in 2017 on the 20th anniversary of her death. So now it's, you know, I I guess it's just really going to become the Diana garden, basically. Definitely. I I mean, I know that we're all looking for, I mean, we're all looking for the body language between the brothers. One thing I, as just like an art geek is, I can't wait to see what this looks like because she is one of the most photographed women in the world, as we've discussed on the show many times, one of the most beautiful women ever. I mean, is it gonna be more abstract? Is it gonna be really realistic? What do we know about the sculptor? So the sculptor is Ian Rank Broadley, and he uh, was commissioned to work on it in 2017. And he also is known for designing the UK's coins, which feature the queen's face. Now, if you've been in the UK, you know that is a very representative take on art. It's not abstract. So I think we're literally going to see like a true to life sculpture of Diana. And it's very interesting to me because giving this commission to Ian Rank Broadley to me is sort of a royal stamp of approval. And the royal family has been sort of reluctant to acknowledge Diana's legacy over, you know, the past 20 years since she passed and even going before that since her uh, divorce from Charles. So it is interesting to sort of see her legacy being wrapped back into the royal family, don't you think? Absolutely. I think that's a really good point. Because obviously we know that William and Harry give their stamp of approval of this because they commissioned it. But you you do need or you want to you want the palace to give their stamp of approval. You want the queen and others to sort of acknowledge that Diana deserves something like this, of course. Right. You know? And it's it sort of flies in the face of the prevailing narrative, which is has always been that Diana was sort of pushed out of the royal establishment. And what could be more establishment than the queen's face on the coins? So this is sort of the establishment saying, we didn't push her out. We're still into her. Right. Which make of that what you will. But I think that's the message, you know? Yeah. It should be the message. I hope it is. I, who do we know that will be attending? Obviously, William and Harry, the sculptor, will be there. Do we know anything else about VIP guests? We haven't. Apparently, there are going to be some close members of the family. So maybe her sisters, maybe her brother. Right. Uh, there have been conflicting reports about whether or not Kate is going to be there. Which, what do you think? I mean, it'll be interesting. I 
I feel like she should be there, but you know, Megan's not there. So then there's that going to be that whole dynamic. And maybe there's a conversation behind the scenes of Kate, maybe you shouldn't be there publicly for it because it'll, the narrative will go away from the statue and it will be about Kate showed up, but Megan didn't. Right. right. And also, I think there's a lot of competing narratives. I feel like this is, this is my word of the day is narrative. But <laughs> there are just so many storylines around all of this, like in the public imagination and in the press. I think there's a narrative that Megan is sort of like Diana 2.0 and she is the carrying on Diana's legacy and that Kate is more accepted by that royal establishment. So if Kate does show up, that is going to put a certain message across that she's the one who lives in Kensington Palace the way Diana did. And she's the one who is there in the UK where Diana was from. She is like a UK country girl. So that might be part of it as well. They don't want to be seen to be playing into this not competition of who gets to be sort of the next Diana, but what people are seeing as Eating, right. emotions toward that. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I just had a thought and I, this is not going to happen, but how amazing would it be and earth shattering if William and Harry show up with both of their wives and they walk in together for this, like no one knows and they like, can you, can you handle it? I wish I wish it would just be so incredible and it would almost put all of this to bed in a way it would. But then at the same time, they tried that with the church walk where William was obsessed with his scarf for 30 seconds. Did you do you remember that? He was trying to like kind of avoid talking to Megan. And that was an attempt at that. So it might not even put it to bed if they did that. But I I agree with you. It would because no one would be expecting it whatsoever. Well, a source told Us Weekly back in March that for all their differences, the two are still totally bonded over preserving their mother's legacy. So this, again, they, they're not reuniting for a funeral. They're not reuniting for a charity event. This is a, the unveiling of their mother. The only two people that share Princess Diana as a mother is William and Harry. So this, this could be a nice bridge to maybe the next chapter. I hope so. And if this doesn't do it, then I don't know what will. I don't know what will. Well, let's move on to a little bit of a fun story because the Crown star Emma Corrin was on Jimmy Kimmel Live recently and she spoke about being at William and Kate's wedding. Let's take a look at this clip. But I just remember 10 years ago, I must have been, yeah, I was 15. That's maths. And um, I was with my friend Catherine and we got very, very swept up in the royal wedding fever. I think probably because we were incredibly bored and incredibly single. <laughs> and um, so we decided to go. And first of all, any any crown um, actor that has like a personal experience with the royal family and like major events like this, I just, it's so fun to think about because imagine this young girl, she said she was 15 years old at the time, being in the crowd for William and Kate's wedding. Meanwhile, 10 years later, she'll be cast as Princess Diana in the crown. Like, you can't make this stuff up. I know, it's so interesting. And it does really sort of show you how the royal family is such a fixture in the UK. It's like every actor probably has a similar story because it is, and I I really like that she sort of admitted to this because a lot of people would be like too cool to admit it. So. 
I kind of love that she was like, yeah, I went me and my friend, we were single and we were like, let's go. Yeah, no, I love that because I don't like people that are like, I'm not because Megan kind of did this in the interview. I think we've discussed this, obviously, ad nauseum before, but sort of not knowing if she should curtsy to the queen behind closed doors. And her and her mother weren't really sure if Princess Diana had done an in, or her mother wasn't sure if Diana had done an interview. I, I do think it's just better to sort of admit that you're aware of all the happenings with the royal family because it's just out there. You can't avoid it. We all know about it. Even we people who actively dislike the royal family and, you know, celebrity gossip of any form know about it. They know right. who they all are. Right. All right. Well, it's tea time because all anyone can talk about this week is William and Harry's reuniting. So it is time to spill the royal tea. And this week we are not only talking about William and Harry reuniting for the statue, were spilling the tea on were they fighting or were they not fighting at their grandfather Prince Philip's funeral? Robert Lacey came out with an op-ed for the Daily Mail. Molly, what did he have to say? Robert Lacey is giving me life right now. I just Oh, everything. Yeah. He said some inching towards reconciliation seemed in progress, but those hopes were dashed within minutes of the siblings getting inside the castle and beyond camera vision. They started quarreling again. Wow. They were. Yeah. It says they were at each other's throats as fiercely as ever. It sounds like it happened. I mean, Again, Robert Lacey is giving me life as well because I, I feel like everything he comes out with, it, it seems very believable. And I know that he's been such a close royal source for decades now. It, it makes sense that when they go behind closed doors and the beyond cameras that there would be some tension and some quarreling. Right. I mean, they couldn't even walk side by side into the church. They had someone had to put Peter Phillips between them. Like, clearly (laughs) you could cut the tension with a knife that they needed to have someone else in between them. And that's what was I mean, obviously it was a funeral. So there's this sort of like uh, somber, dark, uh, like atmosphere around it. You know, people are in mourning. But with the drums and everything and them following behind it, it was so theatrical because of the tension between them that was so apparent. Um, So that was really interesting to watch because like you said, they weren't next to each other. I know they had to be spaced out a little bit for like the processional and stuff, but there was just never an image of them being sort of brotherly. And there are those moments in funerals where you are sharing tender moments, laughing about memories, crying, consoling each other. We didn't really see that with them. Right. It's so true. And, you know, you have to wonder if Kate wasn't there to sort of push them toward each other at the end, right. you know, would it have even happened? And that is what also just to, to bring up the statue unveiling again, that's what also makes me confused about why Kate is not going to be there. I wonder if it's because they don't want her to be getting the credit to bring them back together because that then makes Megan look bad in a way. Like, I wonder what the conversation is behind the scenes because that was the prevailing story after the funeral. Right. And she, in my opinion, Kate would be the perfect person to bring them together. Uh, Having watched them over the years before Megan came into the picture, how Kate was very much the jovial in between like sister-in-law wife person between the brothers. 
But I agree with you. I feel like it wouldn't be a great storyline for Kate to do it because that would make Megan look like Megan didn't do it. So if they are thinking about that, that is very sensitive of the royal family, I guess. It is. Although they probably want Kate to look good. Right. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But speaking of Megan, this is our second topic for uh, our second piece of royal tea this week that we are spilling. Because I'm not sure if you saw Molly, but her pal, Jessica Mulroney, posted a cryptic Instagram story. And people were oh, seeming, thinking that she was alluding to Meghan Markle. Did you see this post? Yeah, I have been dying to know what's going on with them yes. <laughs> ever since last summer. So she posted on her Instagram stories, life changes, you lose love, you lose friends, you lose pieces of yourself that you never imagined would be gone. It's like an Avril Lavigne song or something. Oh, it really is. I mean, those are great lyrics. What are your thoughts on when people post this stuff on Instagram? I always feel like when you post a cryptic quote that is like not at all related to someone, you know someone's trying to send a message. Right. right. It, it, it sort of also gives you away as an elder millennial, which I can admit to being as well, because you're sort of you're you're treating your Instagram story like an AOL away message. Yes. Like I want everyone to know how I'm feeling on the inside and I'm masking it by just sharing an inspirational quote. <laughs> right. But I'm also not going to tell you the tea that you so desperately crave. I just want you to feel bad for me and not know what I'm actually talking about. It's not fair. It's not. I mean, I the first thing that crossed my mind when people were thinking it was about Megan was this Jessica Mulroney person probably has many friends. So this could be a cryptic message about some other person. But she knows that Megan is her highest profile friend. Right. You know, and she knows that people are looking for a sign and what she did last summer really was so not acceptable in, you know, most circles, but especially royal circles. Definitely. Like if people don't remember what happened was um, a blogger from Canada named Sasha Exeter posted something on her Instagram saying, I don't know why people aren't speaking out about Black Lives Matter. And Jessica Mulroney, again, didn't name names. Jessica Mulroney kind of assumed that it was about her and she sent Sasha Exeter all these DMs sort of threatening her livelihood and saying like yeah. implying that she was going to not have as many endorsements because she posted this. And then she said Megan's name. She said, you know, Megan Markle is one of my best friends. So I know what it's like to be the victim of racist trolling. And it was really a wild choice. And, yeah. you know, back when Princess Diana's older sister was dating Charles, she gave one interview about him saying, yeah, I'm dating Charles. And he never spoke to her again. So it's like, this is the kind of thing that the Royals do cut you out for. Yeah. So I would find it hard to believe that their friendship continued. I don't know. What yeah. do you think? I mean, I agree. I, I'm no Royal. I'm barely, I'm, I'm nothing, but I, <laughs> If someone did this, if I was a celebrity and someone publicly used my name to try to, or even in a DM, to try to make a point, it would bother me. It's like, why, why are you using my persona 
to make a point and also just put the phone down. You know, that's what I kept thinking about with this whole drama that happened last year. Like, Jessica, I, I don't know. It just seemed way too convoluted and she made it about herself and then throwing Megan in there. It just got really messy. So if, if Megan really did cut her off, I don't blame her at all. Yeah, it was a truly bizarre move. Like I said, Sasha didn't even say Jessica's name. It was just so strange and like chaos of her own making. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, it wouldn't be a full episode of Royally Us if we didn't have a royal expert join us. So coming back to the program is Pauline McLaren, who is the author of Royal Fever, the British Monarchy in Consumer Culture. So let's take a look at our conversation with Pauline. We are all waiting with bated breath for William and Harry's return together for the unveiling of Princess Diana's statue. What are you hearing? Well, we're all waiting with bated breath too, I guess. Um, the things we're hearing is, well, a lot of speculation on what will happen. The cameras are really going to be on the, the two boys, I think. Um, various things are being said. Um, there's a lot of speculation that there's not much hope of any reconciliation. Um, certainly, I think that's what people are kind of hoping for. But um, most commentators that know the situation well are saying that there's not too much chance of that, although they'll put on a good front for the cameras for the actual occasion. So it'll be hard to tell what's going on in the background. Right. So as someone who has written about the royals and sort of studied them extensively, what are you going to be looking for when you're watching the footage of this event? Well, I, I guess I, I'm, I will be looking at the body language, you know, like everybody else. Uh, I will be trying to sort of guess what's going on. But I think I'm more interested in what happens afterwards, how um, Harry relates this back when he goes back, you know, to the States and what comes out then about what's been said and, you know, what the position is. I think only time will tell that, in fact. Absolutely. I noticed in researching your career, you've also done a lot with gender studies. That's right, yes. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on William and Harry being two men and brothers. Do you think that that has affected their dynamic in terms of us putting on them that they might be having an issue together or with each other? Well, I, I suppose you're you're thinking more of the sort of stereotypical uh, ideals of, of masculinity where right. we wouldn't see them sort of showing too much kind of emotion and things. Is that what you're getting at with that question? Yeah. yeah? yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know that there's really too much of that. I, I think... They've been known to be close in the past. So I don't really think that enters into it so much, and especially with that younger generation of, uh, you know, the, the ideals of masculinity have changed a lot. So that young men, I think, are more willing to show emotion and unlike their, you know, their fathers, maybe. Right. Uh, of course, we had all that with um, Harry talking about the genetic pain and uh, his, you know, his upbringing vis-a-vis -vis his own father's upbringing and, and all that right. that I'm sure you know about. <laughs> 
Well, you know, the word on the street is that they sort of started to really butt heads because William said to Harry, slow down, don't move too fast with this girl. And do you think maybe if Harry was a younger sister, it wouldn't have been like an alpha male battle a little bit? Like it would have been different or do you think it it doesn't have anything to do with the gender roles? Um, well, I mean, I, I think that I, I think William as the kind of, you know, family leader and as the future king, even if it had been a younger sister marrying, you know, somebody that, you know, there were sort of questions about or, or marrying the person very quickly, I, I, I would have thought he would have advised uh, as much. But yes, you're right. You know, maybe it would have been more difficult for him to advise a little sister. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting to think about because obviously we I think out there in the world, everyone has put Kate and Megan against each other. And so there's that stereotypical sort of like cat fighting that we put upon them. And so I'm just curious is that, you know, if we're doing the same to William and Harry, but I'm curious, Harry just uh, gave a little bit of an olive branch to his brother in the video that he released at the Diana Awards this week. Do you think that uh, will help what we're going to see in the coming days with them together? Um, possibly, I mean, um... You know, one of the uh, well-known uh, royal biographers ha has said just in uh, just in the last couple of days right. that he has heard that Harry does regret a little bit. You know, the things that he said, he didn't realize that they would have so much effect. That he misses England, and he he said to his friends that he would like to repair bridges a little bit. We never know just how accurate these um, speculations are, but it does seem from uh, what he said at the awards that this may be um, more of an opening from him, more of a, you know, trying to build bridges. Yes. Yeah. So your book is Royal Fever, the British Monarchy in Consumer Culture. Yeah. What have you learned about the world's relationship with the royal family as it relates to consumer culture? And how is it different now that Harry is sort of becoming the product? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think what we what we learned when we when we looked at the royal family as a brand um, we looked at all the difficulties of controlling the human brands within the royal family, uh, family brand, if you like, because it is a, a kind of family brand. Um, so it's got to try and control all its different members. And we see very clearly now how that goes awry with, of course, Harry and Meghan's departure and the breaking up of the Fab Four and all that side. Um, you know, it, it's had a very powerful effect on the overall royal family brand. And it, it's going to go on because, in a way, Harry and Meghan have set up their own brand, which is now a part and not controlled by the royal family brand. And so we can see that it's almost a competitive brand and it's their version of royalty. And, you know, they're taking that forward in the States uh, in a way challenging maybe the, the royal family brand. They're showing themselves to be much more au fait with, you know, contemporary times. They're 
showing up the royal family, I guess, for the um, their old-fashioned ways, their much more traditional ways. And yes, they're, they're now setting up a, a very competitive brand in the States, really, that is kind of um, proposing new ways of doing royalty. But it's keeping that balance that they keep in touch with royalty, because that, of course, is their kudos, really. Before I let you go, I love having you on for your expertise. I'm curious because we're all, again, waiting for William and Harry's an, another reunion with them at the unveiling of Princess Diana's statue. What, As someone that has followed the royal family for so long, what are you hoping for for them in the near future? Well, well, <laughs> it depends whether I talk with my sort of uh, own emotional side or whether I talk with my kind of, uh, you know, analytic branding side. Yeah. How about uh, both? <laughs> <laughs> OK, I mean, I guess as a like a, as a human being, uh, I wish them all well and I'd like them to be happy from a branding perspective. You know, uh, a good part of me uh, uh, likes to think of this evolving and intrigues me how it, how it will go. Because, of course, we have the, the kind of battle over Diana as well and her legacy and, you know, which owns it. And you can see that both sides are vying for um, the, the spirit of Diana as well. And she's been reinstated within the royal family. But of course, you know, she's equally part of Harry and Meghan's brand. So uh, I'm very interested in how that plays out in the future. And I think we see the sort of start of the tensions there as well. So I think this this story's not going to finish easily. You know, uh, there's been a lot of hurt caused and a lot of things said. So I think the story's going to go and go, actually. I'm always fascinated to talk to people in the UK as someone who has never lived there. Everyone seems to have such better expertise over there, don't you think? <laughs> well, you got to watch Love Island then, and that will disabuse <laughs> you of that notion immediately. <laughs> yes, that could be true. That could be true. That could be a whole episode in and of itself, us talking about Love Island. Oh, I love it. It's so good. It just started last night. Everyone, oh my gosh. If you want to see a completely different side of British culture, that is it. Okay, I love that. I think I need to I start back up because I've only seen a bit of it. But it's especially like a, a little break from the royal sort of chatter of the world. Yeah, it's people who are really a lot more themselves and more real and not really worrying about the the legacy that they have to uphold because like the only legacy they can hope for is Instagram influencer and if that happens it's great for everybody I know it's like it's it's like the lesser of two evils it's like would you want to be William and Harry who tomorrow have to be at this unveiling where everyone will be watching every move they make and dissecting their body language or would you rather be someone on Love Island who's like so thirsty <laughs> right I, I mean no I legacy would, to uphold I'd probably rather be the Love Island person just because I have no filter and right. but the problem is I don't have abs so that will never be my destiny <laughs> same same <laughs> I mean, but if I had to be a prince, I wouldn't say no. Oh, I, know, I know it's their life is very different and difficult at times, but at other times it seems really, really nice. But that's it for another episode of Royally Us. Keep commenting and keep 
subscribing. We'll see you next week.